is brought to you by Focus Fitness. Focus Fitness. Massage and Focus Mitt Kickboxing. 727-692-9105. Focus Fitness. 727. Focuses on you. 692. De-Stress. 9105. With Kickboxing for Mental and Physical Fitness. Welcome to Thorcast, Tampa's health and organized recreation podcast. I'm your host, Jeff, and today I'll be joined by Andy Warner. He is running for Florida House District 64. Sir. Nice to meet you. Likewise. Again, Again? yes. (laughs) Uh, Of course, there was a shooting today. It's all too common. Uh, You have a, a bit to say on that. Uh, I do, actually, and um, I can jump right into it, really. Uh, You know, I look at the Parkland shooting in uh, West Palm Beach uh, affected me in a profound way. Not too different from any mass shooting that happens across the country, but with it happening in Florida, it made it real in a way that, you know, maybe other ones didn't. Uh, So I always ask myself, what can I do? Uh, right now, I'm not a legislator. <laughs> I'm an aspiring one, and I, I would like to get there someday. And uh, there's certainly things that I would like to do from a legislative standpoint uh, to combat that, to prevent future incidents. Uh, but at me as a citizen right now, when I asked myself that question, uh, my only answer was is I can use my network of people, and I can use my gumption I don't know if you've ever read Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. It's a great book. It's <laughs> a must read. That's where that word gumption comes from. Uh, and get after it. So, you know, my plan was is I got together with the principal where my children go to high school. And that's in Hammond Elementary in Odessa. And uh, I had a couple meetings with her talking about, you know, what are some of the issues that the school, that the particular school has with safety. Okay, I initially was invested in the idea of creating a foundation that would help school districts be able to afford off-duty sheriffs to come and cover the schools during arrival and dismissal. I figured that that's going to cost five figures, uh, up to thirty or forty thousand dollars per year per school. So that kind of outgrew the parameters of, of where I was thinking. So I started to think of, okay, well, what is what they call a capital outlay project, which is, in other words, that's a, a hard, a hard uh, construction item that could happen at the school. All right. What, what can we put, what physically can we install or build at the school to make it more secure through talking with the principal the biggest issue for them was they needed a buzz in entry system for their front office. As it stands, you can just walk in the front office and access the school from there. Being, so, being from Michigan, that was one thing that's surprising. In Michigan, you can lock a school down because all the lockers are inside because it gets really cold. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's much easier to lock a school down. Well, in, in Hammond, the way Hammond's set up, uh, they're in little individual pods. Uh, there's a first floor and a second floor, and they have the ability to lock down those particular pods. But there's nothing restricting access from entering the school that way. So we came to the realization that the thing that the school needed most was a buzz-in entry system, where the door remains locked until someone from the inside pushes a button and unlocks the door and gives people access. So I thought, this is a great idea. This is a tangible project. It's probably not going to cost that much. Let's do it. So I I was waiting for the principal to get approval from the school district about the project. In the meantime, she got a quote from a school nearby school that also did it for, you know, roughly $6,000. I was like, wow, this is great. That's 
we could raise $6,000 in one day, <laughs> you know, so I got all geared up and ready and I actually even secured a venue, uh, developed contacts within the school's parent-teacher organization, the, the uh, student advisory council, both of which I'm a member now, and uh, I was ready to roll with it. And then the uh, principal got back to me. She said, well, good news and bad news, well, good news and good and bad news was that not only was the project approved by the district, but the district was also going to provide the funding for that project. Cool. So it took it out of our court, but in the end, it's going to happen. So I'm thrilled. Yeah. But uh, having let that project get off the hook, I you know I started to ask myself, okay, well, how can we prevent this in the future? Uh, well, the answer is just to cut out the middleman, mm-hmm. is to go directly to the school district. So that's what that's what I did. I approached the uh, chief operations officer and uh, spoke with his assistant. And through this foundation, which we're still in the process of forming right now, we're reaching out to individuals to create the board of directors. Obviously, myself is going to be one. Uh, my father, who is my campaign manager, is going to be another. So we're reaching out right now to members of the community who we've targeted specifically uh, to bring on board as board as uh, directors. And from there, we file the paperwork with the IRS and the foundation kind of takes off from there. But I met with the school district and, again, in the operations officer. And uh, apparently, from talking to him, there are going to be an entire list of projects from schools all through the district that go through a vetting process as far as their feasibility, what's the cost efficiency and all that. So what I wanted was to be able to kind of sit in on it and see which projects were approved and then which projects are going to go ahead and have state funding for it through the Senate Bill 7026. And I'm certain that a lot of those are going to fall through the cracks. I mean, you know, there's going to be a certain number of them that are going to be approved that there's just not enough money for. Well, what's what's the plan right now? Um, hey, camera woman, <laughs> you're a teacher. What? Um, well, here in Pinellas County, they are um, looking at putting a security officer in every single building, which is very, very expensive to the point where um, the increase for actual spending on students next year was less than $1. I don't remember if it's $0.74 or $0.47, but it was less than a dollar that we get as an increase to help pay for actual funding for our students and for paying teacher salaries and everything. So basically we're told there will be no raises next year because everything's going to pay for an officer, that the state provided funding for the officers but not for teachers. So otherwise they should have... Giving you more money. <laughs> that that's as the, usual. That's the inherent problem <laughs> with uh, Senate Bill seventy twenty six is that it mandated school districts to hire a security officer mm-hmm. for each school. Most elementary schools, at least in Hillsborough County, do not have one. Uh, all I, I believe all high schools do, and I believe most, if not all, middle schools do. Uh, but the legislature did not provide enough money. <laughs> To pay for all those security officers, so different districts are are taking different approaches. Like I believe Pinellas County contracted out directly with the sheriff's department. Uh, Pasco County, who has even a smaller budget, is is working on hiring these security officers that have to go through vetting and clearance and uh, all these hours of training. And in Hillsboro, Hillsboro has a security detail, a security team that's employed through the district. So I think that's where it seems like Hillsborough County is moving in that direction now. But again, with all these funds being chewed up, you know, getting extra officers uh, on the campus, which I, is extremely important, uh, it's it's leaving a, a gap in funding for the schools themselves, and in my opinion, especially for capital outlay projects, for hard projects. That's where the foundation would like to come in. Is when you know when they get that list, when they get the approved projects. You know, they have this, this one, and this one are funded, but this, this, and this one are not. So then what we would do as a foundation, we would, we would identify what are the highest priority projects and then go in directly with the school, work with the PTA, work with the student organizations, and have a fundraiser or fundraisers and raise the funds for the project. And then, again, this is through talking with the district. We would then give that money to the district, and the district would earmark that that amount of money for that particular project for that particular school. So you're going to be a very busy man. I'm already an extremely busy man. That's just one of the many projects that I have going right now. Well, um, speaking of, uh, you know, taxes and 
utilization of taxes. Um, where is that? Uh, talk about the corporate tax rate. Okay, we're going up to the the federal level now. Yeah. I, I usually like to steer the conversations toward the toward state politics. The oh, federal policies to. can be really. If you want to, that's well, I mean, I'll touch on it briefly. Uh, you know, my, my main thing is this: is uh, the concept that the corporate tax rate is very high in in the United States is it's true. It's it's higher than than in most countries. We're also a first world country. You know, we build, we fix roads and we build yeah. bridges. So, you know, it's, it's inherent that we raise the funds to pay for those projects. Yeah. Yes. Uh, what I believe the current administration's idea behind cutting the corporate tax rate is, is that companies that hide their profits offshore will now bring that back. That's, yeah, that that's, that's a loose. To put it lightly, that's a loose assumption, in my opinion. Uh, yeah. You know, corporations want to make money, and they're going to do pretty much anything they can in order to give increase the reward. that bottom line. You don't give the reward before the task is done. That's, yeah. <laughs> I'm skeptical, yeah. to say the me, least. Me too. It's like, you want somebody to do, to bring their money back in? Let them bring their money back in, and then here's your tax cut. Yeah, I mean, like, okay, you've been doing something wrong all this time, so we're going to make it not wrong anymore, and then expect you to be accountable. Hey, you know, it might work in some cases. But, but they, what, what was that? Uh, it's loose reasoning. Tax holiday? Is that what they call that? Something like that? Well, tax holiday is typically something that's done at the, at the uh, state level, where, you know, they'll let... Teachers and students and parents buy school supplies with a tax oh, rate. I must be account. thinking of a different thing. It's where they, they lower the tax rate for temporarily for you bring your money back mm, to America mm. and then it goes back to normal. So they've mm. given up on that, it seems okay, like. Okay, so they're trying to go hit, hit you with the lower tax rate on things, on monies that you bring back. Over. Yeah, no, it just seems like they're just going to lower it altogether. That's, that seems like a more realistic approach, in my opinion, but... Uh, but you know, while we're on the uh, the subject of uh, tax, uh, corporate taxes, uh, there is a state corporate tax, a state business tax of five point five percent. And uh, one of the bills that I would actually like to introduce is a a small business deferment bill. And one of the items in that bill is I would like to create a progressive business tax system in Florida. We don't pay. We don't all pay the same rate for our income taxes, right? You know, the more money you make, the higher tax rate it is. Well, I I think that should apply to the state business tax as well. You know, I don't think that mom and pop sandwich shop should be paying the same rate as Walmart or or Amazon or, you know, these multi-million dollar corporations. I don't think that's fair. And neither should the, uh, that little trick where, where the, the owner of the business, I can't remember what it's called, where the, the, he puts his name as direct owner, and therefore it's a small business. Like Walmart can be qualified as a small business because of how they have it written down on paper. Well, you know, I mean, that, that, that has to be established through, yeah. you know, there's two ways to establish what size business you are through either the number of employees that you have That's a good or your gross revenue. Those are both those are, I mean, and those are both parameters. And actually, if you look at some other states, I believe Montana has a progressive state business tax as well. And I forget what the details of theirs are, but I've been looking at different programs across the country and they have, you know, small to large businesses that are ranked based on that, based on either the number of employees or, and or gross revenue. Uh, you know, I just feel like the smaller the business, the more hand they need in yes. getting successful. Yes. That's, that moves into the second, the, the, what's really the primary part of this bill that I like to introduce, the small business deferment tax, is that I would like to allow small businesses to get a deferment on their licensing fees for the first two years. And, yes. and, and taxes for that matter for the first two years. So many businesses fail in the first and the second year. Let's, yeah, I think I've seen statistics on that. Well, and, and it, I, I understand why. You know, the, the business, you're, you're trying to, vet, to develop a clientele. You're trying to develop, you know, an audience for your product or, or your service or whatever it is. In the meantime, you probably have a huge loan that you took out. You probably got rent or more or a mortgage on whatever physical building you have. Yeah. So you have all this expense that's crushing you down while you are just starting out to try to develop your to try to develop your clientele. Yep. I mean that is what 
forces small businesses to shutter. So if you just got a deferment for two years, I think, I hope that it would allow many more small businesses to kind of get their wings, get their wheels, if you will, I bet it would. and get to a more stable place. Yeah. And, the, and it's not a huge hit to revenue either because, it's again, it's only a deferment. You know, it's not like, okay, oh, I'm never going to pay my licensing fee. No, you're going to pay the licensing fee in two years. Yeah. So the state will eventually get that money. It's not like we're removing that those funds, that revenue away from the state budget. We're just postponing it for, for two years. So I, I think it would be a wildly popular idea. I'm actually having planning on having a, a small business symposium this summer where I invite small business owners and especially uh, prospective small business owners to come and just kind of sit down with me in the room and just share ideas. You know, like what, what has kept, you know, if you've, if you've launched a small business and it's failed, what were the factors in its fail in its failure? If you launched a small business and it succeeded, what were some of the biggest obstacles that you had to overcome in order to get to that place of stability? And I want to just hear from people, you know, like, and that, that, that's the way I am with a lot of the issues is, you know, I certainly have my ideas and things that I've formulated and information that I've taken in, but you can't really say you're an expert on the situation until you bring people in that are that are part of that and dialogue with them. Yeah. And uh, I, it's, I think it's a great way to engage the community, and I, I think it'll be really beneficial. Make sure they don't wiggle around the, the two parameters of the employees and the gross. Right, right. You have to have pretty specific guidelines about, you know, what that is. And um, let me see. Solar energy. That'd be a good topic. Solar energy. We live in the Sunshine State. And yeah, uh, currently, it is illegal for anyone besides a utility company to sell electricity, sell solar power. And that, that that's like one of those. What? It's like, <laughs> really? Crooked is a question mark. <laughs> yes. Yes, indeed. Indeed. And, uh, you know, it's just, it, it, it's keeping people from being able to profit from solar power in the state. And, you know, it's, it's monopolizing it for the utility companies. And, you know, I, I think the utility companies can be a part of it. You know, there's no reason that we have to exclude them altogether yeah. from it. But citizens should be able to wheel and deal in, in solar energy. You know, like, let, let's say I buy a, like a four unit apartment building. Yeah. Okay. I want to go and I want to have solar power there. Okay. So I build panels on top of a unit. You know, it is illegal for me to then sell that power to the residents. I have to sell, I have to sell it to the power company and then the power company has to sell it back to the, to the people. And usually you're losing money on the, on the rate. Well, and, and, and voltage from transfer. Well, and there's a transfer. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure about the, 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 the science of that, or... but it just seems absurd that somebody that owns a building and puts solar panels on their building can't, can't sell what they produce. That seems insane to me. And, uh, well, that's one of the things I'd like to fix. Well, the, will the energy company pay for you putting the solar panels up on your roof? No. I mean, you, you can, there you, go. you can get it. No. Yeah. Well, okay. That's a set of questions. Yeah. Of course they're not. <laughs> and are they really, do they really want to go solar right now? I think they're just kind of getting their mitts on it so they can have it for when they're, from there and they're finally ready to do it. They own it. Well, you know, we've done so much waiting for entities like that to mm. get their stuff together. Uh, I mean, that translates to the uh, pharmaceutical industry as well. You know, you want to talk about medicinal cannabis. Why is that? Why is that so slow coming? Well, that's because you have the pharmaceutical companies that are not, they don't have their fingers into it yet. And the beer companies. Yeah. yeah. And the prison unions. All, all of this is happening because these big businesses don't have a corner on that market yet. And yeah. if we wait until they have a corner on it, then there won't be any competition. Yeah. And we're capitalists, right? Like, I mean, Free market. I, don't, don't get theory. me wrong. In yeah. theory. <laughs> in theory. Right, right, right. But capitalism is about competition. It's like free market as long as we win. Yeah, right. <laughs> as long as we own all the outlets. That's yeah, fine. <laughs> all right. Let me see. The environment. You wanted to talk about the environment. There we go. Yeah. This is, uh, you know, when people ask me, you know, like, what's, what's your most passionate issue? Well, I mean, there's a lot. But... Uh, the environment is, is probably the biggest one for me. Yeah. And because I see it 
as more of a race against the clock than almost any other issue. You know, obviously we want to prevent the next school shooting. So that's, I mean, that's a huge issue. But as far as land acquisition goes, we're in a race against time. We're in a race against development. And uh, if we don't start making moves yesterday, uh, we're not going to have the type of place that we'll be proud to pass on to future generations. As it stands in Florida, we still have a lot of wild space, especially yeah. in the central, central yeah. part of the state. Uh, I'm going to plug this uh, nonprofit that I love so much, the Florida Wildlife Corridor. That's a great group of people with a beautiful vision of where they'd like to see the state in the future. Uh, with the idea that they want to connect. You can see it on Google Earth. Yeah, yeah, exactly. When, and on their website. Swath of nothing, which is pristine. And, and we have it now. And yeah. the, the, the trick is connecting it. You know, it's one thing to have, oh, you have this nice patch here, you have this nice park here, you have these other things kind of spread out, so but it's the connectivity of So it. animals aren't trapped. Exactly, exactly. So that it can support apex predators, panthers and bears, roam hundreds of miles when they can. Yeah, yeah. If they have those hundreds of miles to roam, then their encounters with civilization will be much fewer, and it will support their population. And if they can't get to the food they want, they'll get to the food they'll, that's available. Yes. Bye-bye yes, Fluffy. Yes. And everyone else wants to buy Jogger. your trash can. Or Jogger. The mountain lions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If you weren't that big of a person, it might look, you might look tasty. Yeah. <laughs> Those thigh muscles in humans, you're like, if I was an animal, I'd be like, eh, you know, no claws, no hair, no sharp teeth. Is like, that the best, fastest you could run? They only got two legs. Hmm. <laughs> Uh, uh, but to go back to that, uh, you know, in, in 2014, we voted on Amendment 1, the Florida Land and Water Conservation Amendment, and it was a con- state constitutional amendment requiring a 60% mandate. Well, 74.9% of the people in Florida that voted that year voted in favor of that. To me, I've never seen a greater mandate from the people of Florida than 75%. That tells me that people want that. Yeah. You know, they saw that vision and they said, yes, we want that money set aside for acquisition, buying up that land before it's developed. And in, in my opinion, the legislature has just not followed through with it. This is in 2014 on this amendment that so we voted on. They're 2015. Kind of trying to look good. But not really going to do anything about it. Well, I, they, they they just haven't funded it. You know, they were expecting between three and seven hundred million dollars to be available through the bed tax to be able to put into that fund. Two thousand fifteen, they put nothing in it. Sixteen, nothing. Seventeen, nothing. Finally, just this year, they put a hundred million dollars into the into the trust fund, and I'm sure it's going to go right away. You know, there's 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 a there's a long list of projects and properties that need to be acquired in order to create that connectivity. So we need to start spending that money on what the voters of Florida wanted it to be spent on. We need between three and $700 million every year in that fund until the project is accomplished. I mean, what better thing to pass on to future generations than something like that? That is a legacy project. That is something that will set Florida apart from every other state and create ecotourism like you would not believe. I mean, I, I, that is a that is a wave of the future. Ecotourism, the fishing game. Are they in on this too? Are they I, for, I, for the most part? And you know, and, and it's all about building, you know, building a network. You know, this is not going to happen without help, assistance from you know big agricultural uh, operations. You know, a lot of those can actually help by leaving their lands in an agricultural state. You know, and, but it won't happen without effort from every side. You know, if, if, if there's elements that are resisting it, it's going to make it that much diff- more difficult. Will people be able to hunt on these reserves? Uh, that's a good question. It, it depends on what it eventually develops into. Like, I, like, I think if it's a, I think there's, if it's a state park, you know, if they have campsites there, then Probably not, you know, open for hunting there, you know, but if it's a wilderness area, I'm, I'm sure there are seasons where they allow hunting for certain types of animals and I'm fine with that. That's, you know, I, I'm not, you know, if you want to hunt, man, that's hunt. We need hunters as part of this partnership as well, you know, yeah. 
And if we have this resource available to us, then it'll preserve the whole concept of hunting in the wilderness for years to come as well. Hunting and they have fishing, to see that. They hunting have to and see fishing that licenses pay a lot for environmental stuff. People don't realize. It's like, oh, you're just killing the animals. It's like, yeah, but I'm also... You know, paying for their habitat. And, you know, and a lot of those people, too, they really do utilize what it is they take, too. You yeah. know, they, they eat the meat, you know, they use, they use the skin. You know, as long as it's not a wasteful operation, I don't really have a problem with hunting. Yeah. You know, I, I'm not a hunter myself. I just can't bring myself to shooting something. You know, I'd rather just take a picture. But, uh, you know, I understand that that's part of, you know, the human character. And, uh, and you know, I, and I, we need to work together, you know, with hunters and, and fishing and fishers yeah. in order to make that a vision a reality. Yeah. Being from Michigan, a lot of hunters. I'm probably, like, the only person you could find in, like, 50 square miles that didn't hunt. Oh, yeah. I'd want her, too. But. <laughs> but, but, like I said, even more reason to, to build a coalition with them. You know, yeah. we need to all be on the same page and all have the same goal in mind. Yeah. All right. Covered the environment, covered schools, solar energy, living wage. Oh, here we go. Uh, this is this is very relevant to the state because there's a lot of action going right now that would seek to raise the minimum wage in the state. In 2004, we passed a state constitutional amendment that broke the state minimum wage away from the federal minimum wage. Federal minimum wage is still way down at seven twenty-five an hour. Wow. Uh, our state That's minimum crazy. wage is now up to, I believe, eight twenty-five. Uh, and now in two thousand and four, this was a great idea. You know, it, it, it raised the minimum wage. It created a separate trajectory for our minimum wage against the federal minimum wage. But what's happened is, is the uh, increases are tied to the uh, CPI index, which is a algorithmic. A uh, number that's based on inflation and all these other factors, but uh, the bottom line is, is it's not bringing the wage up quickly enough to to match inflation. Uh, inflation, or or just, I mean, you look at how what rental prices are in in town. Looking for a place right Hill, now. Hillsborough it's County insane. is really bad with it right now. I think there's going to be another housing bubble. I think there is another housing bubble. Just when will it burst? Well, but I mean, you have what you're ha having now in 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 Hillsborough County is you're having something like you know, I lived in L.A. and you know the prices were insane back then oh, yeah. over there, and you have people living you know three four adults in a two three bedroom apartment you know and you know I, you do what you have to do but that's not that's not good economics for the state you know you want those people to have their own places you know their yeah, you know seems their like own they would bring in more money. You, you would think, you yeah. would think, you would think. So, uh, like I said, eight twenty five is just just not a living wage anymore. Uh, so how, it's got to come. How much would that up. be full time? Oh gosh, I crunched all the numbers. If you go on my website, I had I did all the the number crunching, but it, it comes down to like math you, person. Come on, you teach math. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, you can't. I mean, you can't be a single adult and rent a house and rent a house and have a car. It's That's it's just crazy. not enough. That's it's crazy. Not enough. You have to either have a second job or you have to be pooling with another person, and th that's that's not good for anybody. Yeah, this, when that happens, the system is broken. You need to change something. I, exactly, exactly. Now, I want to be too. I want to be cautious about trying to raise the minimum wage too high too quickly, because I don't want to burden. Again, I'm a big small business guy. I don't want to overburden a small business. That might, you know, one year have to go from paying the guy eight, nine bucks an hour, and now they got to pay him fifteen an hour. That's that's going to price a lot of uh, a lot of small businesses out of the market. Well, I wonder if you could uh, set up a two tier system with you know big companies and small companies, and that would incentivize these people to actually get more education to try to move into the bigger salary jobs, and new people who are just starting out could come into those small business jobs and then continue to move up. Almost like that's what fast food used to be. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Get into fast food and then get your education and get the hell out of there. <laughs> that, that's an interesting concept. And there are actually some states that have implemented that. Uh, Florida obviously has not. Uh, my, my only concern with that is that I, I worry that small businesses won't be able to attract employees mm. if they're you know if, if you know the, the small business the small hardware store is only paying nine bucks an hour 
and Home Depot is paying 11, who's going to go to the, <laughs> you know, who's going to go to the small business? The people who couldn't get hired at Home Depot. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe. <laughs> and maybe a, a smaller place would be a good place but, to learn. But that goes back to you know, my point about if you're raising the minimum wage to a respectable wage, then you can expect more from your employees. You know, I, I once saw a, a Chris Rock meme on Facebook. It said, yeah, I used to work for McDonald's. They paid me minimum wage. Paying somebody minimum wage is like your boss saying, hey, I would pay you less, but it's illegal. <laughs> <laughs> and as funny as, funny as it is, it stuck on me a little bit. And I was like, wow, that's... Gallows humor. <laughs> well, but, but it's, it says a lot. It, it's, a, it's a statement to your employee. It's like, hey, you're only worth what is legally allowable. Well, you've heard about Walmart when they hire new people and they do the orientation. They say, this is how you apply for food stamps mm-hmm. and government aid. And it's like, wait, shouldn't you be paying No, I, I will give Walmart some credit because they did raise wages. I believe their uh, wage is up to $11 an hour now. So I did not know that. I will give them some credit I for that. I'm sorry. <laughs> kind of. Kind of. <laughs> I do give them credit for that. But, I mean, the reality is, is they could afford much more. And for the state or the federal government to be indirectly subsidizing multi-billion dollar industries like that is insane, in yeah. my opinion. Yeah. You know, we're, we, we, don't, we don't have enough money, as you mentioned, to, to pay our public school teachers, mm-hmm. but we're okay with providing public assistance to employees that work at a company that the people that own the company own more wealth than the rest of the 90% of the people that live in the country. That's, that, that, that's, just, that, that's, that's They're saying stuff like we haven't seen wealth inequality like this since like ancient Egypt. Uh, since like, oh, yeah, I heard that too. I'm going to say since like the Rockefellers or the Industrial the Revolution. Age. Yeah. But you remember what happened after, after that time. Well, the crash, <laughs> but then you had a bunch, you had a huge push into social programs. You had antitrusts and, and monopoly breakups. You had a huge, you know, huge labor movement at that time. Which worked pretty well. At that time. At the, uh, the and then like all good things, it runs off the rails and but gets corrupted. There, there were other factors, so just because there's other factors, they can ignore that too. You know, like, uh, well, we were the only economy still functioning after World War II. Yeah. That helped a lot. But yes, that did help a lot. But so did all the social programs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, just to inform people out there, uh, there is a current citizen-initiated constitutional amendment right now that's uh, being spearheaded by the attorney John Morgan that would raise the uh, state minimum wage to $15 an hour by 2026. You know, I, I that fifteen dollar an hour wage is is a little bit frightening to me because I worry about small businesses being able to handle it. But twenty twenty six is a long way away. Yeah, I wonder if if that is a living wage just, by that time. Just divide by the number of years left, and then just. Well, it's just just, just to give you an idea that, that there are things out there. You know, in fact, your viewers and listeners might encounter somebody that is trying to collect petitions for that. Uh, there is a big push to get it on the 2020 ballot. It's too late to get anything on the 2018 ballot, but there's a push to get it on in 2026. What I would do is, is I would actually, and th- I've learned this through talking with small businesses, is the one caveat that I would make sure to put in there is that the minimum wage law applies to adults 18 and over. Okay, because if even if it's in 2026, if you've got to pay... A high school kid. Now, this is not to disparage a high school kid in any way. Yeah. But if you got to pay a high school kid fifteen bucks an hour, whereas there's an adult that's twenty one and up that's supporting a family, that high school kid ain't going to get the job. Yeah. Unless you know? he's been patriated from his parents. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. But I, I, I think the fifteen dollar an hour is going to price out. It's good for somebody who's living at home with their parents. It, it's somebody that's independent. Right, you know. If oh, I mean, I was sorry, the, the under eighteen. Right. Yeah. 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 No, no, I, I got that. Yeah. 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 Uh, so I, I think that there should be, you know, a disclaimer or an exclusion in there for, you know, adults under 18 because you're going to price high school kids out of the market, plain and simple, at 15 an hour. 
So there's all kind of details that need to be worked out. But, you know, if your listeners want to be aware of that, uh, you can check out uh, John Morgan's site or the uh, Department the of State website. Morgan and Morgan? Yeah, yeah. He's he's the main push behind it. And he's uh, also trying to get cannabis legal because his... He is trying that also. Does his brother have cancer or I, some kind I of I believe it was his father that ended up dying from it. Uh, that he administered it to his father and it eased his passing. I think that's where Morgan's, you know, real life experience with that is. Lost some family too. Yeah. <laughs> you you did? It did. Yeah. Oh yeah. So so you know. Yeah. yeah. I just the fact that it provides relief for sick people and they're not allowed to access it, that's 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 a crime. I actually have a, a science show that I, I do all, as well, and I did one on... I'm not just going to tell you how that cannabis can help cure cancer, kill cancer, that kind of thing. I actually looked in... It was only three pages, but I had to look up, like, every other word. <laughs> and I spent, you know, days looking at these three pages, figuring out what they actually meant and how to put it in a way that people could understand. Right. Because everyone says, oh, here's it. How? I don't know. You're full of shit. Go away. <laughs> well, it, the, the biggest holdup in that is the fact that at the federal level, cannabis is still on schedule as a schedule one narcotic. Yeah, which means it has with no, no medical values. Uh, That's crazy. Uh, heroin and PCP and, you know, all the other really hard cocaine are all up on that schedule one. And for a plant to be up on that schedule one is just like that's. Actually, There's no basis in reality for that. Cocaine is scheduled too. Is it really? Because they use it on um, when they're doing some nose surgeries. That's like fixing septums. That's and even more absurd. <laughs> 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 um, but if we could, if we got it off of Schedule One at the federal level, then that would open up testing nationwide. Yeah. Right now, I believe there's only uh, I think it's the University of Mississippi. Is the only authorized entity that is allowed to conduct clinical trials in, in can, with cannabis in the country. Now, there, you know, the University of Madrid has done great studies. You know, there are all kinds of studies that have been done internationally, yeah. but very little has been done domestically because it's still on that schedule. Oh, that wasn't done by an American scientist. It doesn't count. Well, that, that again, that but that's that has that has led into some of the the skepticism of those you know uh, clinical trials. So for me, the, the biggest step is to get it off of Schedule One, because then that would open up all other, you know, all the other things that are that lie underneath that hang up. So you need to get it off of Schedule One first I'm, and foremost. I mean, further out there, I, I say just legalize it in general, because I've seen people high and I've seen people drunk. Drunk to me looks worse. <laughs> I actually don't drink myself because it tears me tears me up. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> but. Uh, you know, if this is okay, then this definitely should be okay. I was like, well, yeah, people are going to smoke weed and drive. It's like, people drink and drive. So it's, that, it's illegal. At the stop sign for 10 seconds longer? <laughs> yes, that's okay. <laughs> Might drive five miles an hour slower. I mean. <laughs> well, it's like, yeah, it's illegal to drive drunk. It'll be illegal to drive stoned. It's a crazy concept. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> what do you think about um, universal health care? Oh wow! Okay, well, again, that's not dun, dun, dun. that's a that's a again we're we're going up to the federal. Uh, I'd like to say real quick at the, at the state level, just to kind of precursor this. Yeah. Uh, at the state level, one of the things I'd definitely be in favor of is expanding Medicaid. You know, uh, the federal government offered this state millions of dollars to expand Medicaid for people that are in the gap, and, and our governor turned that money away. And uh, there are whole lists of people who died. Most likely because of that. I, I'm in that gap right now. I am unable to access health care because the policy that I that I was offered is you know the monthly deductible is half of what I make in a month. And uh, but I but I make too much to qualify for Medicaid, but I don't make enough to have a health care policy that I can afford. So I'm in the gap right now. So I, I I'm experiencing this firsthand. So one of the first things that I would do, and this is not necessarily to help myself because I'm pretty healthy. I don't really need it right now. But I know there is a lot of people like me and that are not in the same state of health that I'm in yeah. that need that now. Yeah, uh, my wife, or, my wife needs happened. like uh, needs you know women need more maintenance health care than men do. Mm -hmm. I sent my wife to her home country of El Salvador because 
I can't afford to give her to pay for the care that she needs here. Wow. I mean, luckily her father's a, a doctor and, uh, you know, he has a network of people that can provide, you know, basic medical services for nominal fees. And so I literally had to put her on a plane to another country in order to access healthcare for her. A coworker of mine, um, when he went home to Greece to see family, he waited until he went to Greece to go to the dentist because dental care is so expensive mm-hmm. here in America that mm-hmm. he just decided it wasn't worth paying an American dentist to use them. I just wonder what we could achieve if we went that way and cut out all the what would be unnecessary now. Uh, just red tape. Well, that's you're saying cutting out the insurance companies, and uh, that's a, that's a big statement. And They're gonna whack me. Well, the, I mean, the the, the, all, the negative that I would say to that is that the industry itself is gonna suffer, and there's probably a lot of people that are in healthcare administration that work for healthcare companies. They're probably gonna lose their jobs because of that, you know, and that's that's the reality of it. But that's not enough reason to let people die, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I, I'm for universal health care. I want, I want to be clear about that. I, mean, I, I, su- I support the idea of, universe, of access to universal health care. Yeah. No one's, no one's still upset about the, the, the farriers, the shoe horses, the people who shoe horses. Sure. Farriers. Lost yeah, their yeah. job. There's tons of them. They lost, most of them lost their jobs. Uh, if you, no, I'm, no, I'm no, from Keystone, tiered. Odessa area, and you still see guys over there that run their little trucks and but, they go and shoe horses. But for most of the time, not a tear shed. Right. Right. So, well, things change. The ideal thing would be that those people would then find other, you know, uh, other work in that in the in a similar field, you know, th- in the, in the same industry. Well, if more um, people could have access to healthcare. We would need more doctors' offices and thus more secretaries making appointments, and then those people point. could move into those jobs. That's a valid point. Um, but in the United States, we spend more per person on healthcare than almost every other industrialized country on the planet. Why is that? Is it because the, the service is that much better? Well, the service maybe is a little bit better, but that's no reason why we have to spend the most per person. Actually, as far as I know, we are not ranked number one in patient outcome. No, we're not. Oh, we're definitely not ranked we're number actually, one. We're probably we're not even in the top five. I think it's around 30. It's down there. That's scary. Well, <laughs> but the answer to that question is is that healthcare administrator middleman. You know the the uh, CEO of United Healthcare makes six, take a breath sixty seven million dollars a year. Jeez. I'm like, hmm. I think I know where some of that money's going. <laughs> I think maybe if we cut that part out of it. See, the, the, and we're not the, saying that people don't deserve to be rich. It's just the definition of what rich is has changed a lot. Well, and it comes down to how much do you need? Exactly. And, and, and what are the, what are the consequences of your needing so much? I got a great way to save that company $66 million a year. Pay the CEO a million dollars a year. And all of a sudden that company has saved $66 million a year. And the guy's still a millionaire. I give five. I'm nice. <laughs> You're nice. Yeah. <laughs> but see, but that's saving you $62 million a year. Yes. I just don't get healthcare should not be a for-profit industry. That's my biggest thing. Well, okay. Life, I, that, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Kind of forget about the life part. <laughs> <laughs> because it takes healthcare in order to lead a good, you know, a healthy life. Yep. Yep. And um, financial security. And so many uh, people get into debt, get into debt over healthcare. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, let's. Yeah, boy, I could go on about that one. Home rule. Home rule. Oh, that's a good one. Ah, oh, there's a bunch of stuff going on right now that's really interesting. Uh, I'm sure you got. I'm sure you heard that the uh, there's a lot going on with the Hillsborough County Commission. One thing is is that there's a proposal to take the seven member board. With three at-large seats, the three countywide seats, and turn it to a nine-member board with every with nine different districts. The reasoning behind that, at least from what I've been able to discern, is that they feel like the people in the specific areas would be better served. 
you know, because right now there's, there's, there's four districts and three at large. So they feel like the four districts is, are too large of an area to service adequately. And that they feel like they, if they had nine and you know, you're only representing a smaller part of town and it might be better attention in that area. I don't see it that way. <laughs> I don't see it that way at all. In fact, the biggest problem that I have with it is that me as a resident of Hillsborough County, if we go to the nine individual county commissioners, I then only get to vote for one of them. One of the nine. In the current format, I get to vote for four of the seven commissioners. I get a personal say in the majority of the board. And I, I, that's disenfranchising for me as a voter to move to a nine-member district. I don't, I'm not a fan of that at all. Why are they changing? Could they? They're not changing. It's just been. It's just been proposed. proposed. You know, they're going to do. I guess a feasibility study, which leads me into the next feasibility study that they're doing is they're looking at the idea of creating more municipalities within Hillsborough County, which. I think is a good idea. You know, there are pros and cons to it, definitely. But I think overall and in the long run, it would be a great idea. Uh, where I live in uh, Hillsborough County, Keystone Odessa area, I think is an area that is, that's prime for that. That's very, you know, Keystone Odessa has very specific boundaries about where Keystone Odessa ends, like the, you know, the, the borders. So it wouldn't be that hard. To- so it wouldn't be that hard. And there are people, you know, there's a Keystone Civic Association, you know, there's other groups civic groups that are already organized in that area that I think, you know, your your city council or whatever could could be drawn from those people that are already very involved in the community and very aware of what's going on in their community. So I I see that as, as potentially being a very positive thing. And that would solve the issue that they want to solve by going to the nine member districts. Because then if you have a municipality, then those people are hyper-focused on What's going on on this street and, you know, on this pothole, you know, on this intercept traffic intersection that has gridlock? You know, the, the, I think the, the focus on that specific area would be a lot better. You'll still have somebody looking out for and calling and harping on the representatives. Right, right. Well, and, and a lot of those decisions that we now have to drive down to Kennedy Boulevard. I don't know if you know where Keystone Odessa is, but it's way up in the corner of Hillsborough County. It's not easy to get down to Kennedy Boulevard for a BOCC meeting. That would make the local government much more accessible and combat what I think is one of the biggest problems in this country and in the state is disenfranchisement, voter apathy. I think if a lot of those decisions were made at the local level, where if you wanted to be part of the conversation, you could drive 10 minutes to the local civic center or public park or whatever and be part of that conversation. You know, I, I think that would go a long way to enfranchising people in those areas. And, you know, for comparison, Pinellas County is also in my district too. Pinellas County has like a third of the population of Hillsborough County, but there are 24 municipalities in Pinellas County. You know how many there are in Hillsborough? There are three. Three? City of Tampa, Temple Terrace, and Plant City. That's it. That's it? And that, and that sprawling, uh, 1.4 million person, uh, county of Hillsborough, we have just three municipalities. Nothing on the whole north side. That's weird. It's, it's odd. It's odd. I, I, I'm fairly certain that the county commissioners, they, they see that, and that's why they have voted, I think, 5-2 in order to conduct a feasibility study on to see if that's a possibility. You know, I certainly think Keystone Odessa would be a good one. Uh, Lutz. Would be a good one. Maybe Keystone Odessa Lutes could all kind of go together. Brandon. Carolwood Brandon is a great example. I think Brandon's a great example. Especially with all the development going on there. You know, there's a there's a battle between people that want to keep things a certain way and people that want to change things a certain way. And if those decisions could be made in that area, you know, by people that We are experiencing technical difficulties. Please stand by. Forecast is brought to you by Focus Fitness. Focus Fitness. Massage and Focus Mitt Kickboxing. 727-692-9105. Focus Fitness. 727. Focuses on you. 692. De-stress. 9105. With kickboxing for mental and physical fitness. Sometimes you just want to hit something. When you work out with my husband, you'll hit focus mitt pads. Jeff has leveled routines for beginners to experts. 
you'll learn effective defense and offense techniques while engaging in an energizing, fun workout. Call 727-692-9105. Focus Fitness, 727 focuses on you. 692 De-Stress, 9105. With an in-home massage for mental and physical fitness. Traffic is obnoxious. Do you really want to have another place you have to drive? Save yourself the stress. He'll drive to you. I can attest an in-home massage is best. Instead of red lights and errands to run after massage, get your massage, then veg on the couch. A Focus Fitness medical massage focuses on fixing the things that keep you from moving. 727. A Focus Fitness sports massage focuses on keeping athletes limber. 692. A Focus Fitness stretching massage allows you to stay in your sweats while Jeff focuses on getting your limbs back in action. 9105. A Focus Fitness relaxation massage focuses on easing away the stresses of the day. Call Focus Fitness, Massage, and Focus Mitt Kickboxing. Call 727-692-9105. Focus Fitness, Massage, and Focus Mitt Kickboxing. Focus Fitness, focusing on your mental and physical fitness. Focus Fitness. That's focus, the letter J, fitness.tumblr.com. And now back to our irregular program. Okay, so uh, we were wrapping up about uh, home rule. And, you know, we're talking about, you know, the idea of creating more municipalities within uh, Hillsborough County. And uh, I, that speaks back to one of my concepts is of, of home rule. And, again, that comes to – that speaks to voter disenfranchisement. I feel like when you feel like you're more a participant in the decisions that are made and where you live, you're going to be that much more involved in the community and in, and in the electoral system. You know, I feel like when all the decisions are made in Tallahassee, it disenfranchises people. I feel like, I mean, how many people, how many of you out there have traveled to Tallahassee? I got, I have to admit, I have not, you know, but I do go to the county commission meetings. You know, if, if there was a city council, I'd probably run for it, but, uh, I, I would, I would certainly go to the meetings and, and be a part of that. And I, and I think bringing control down to the most local level possible. It's going to serve the community greatly in the, in that you're going to have people that are more active. They're going to be more involved in it. You know, I talk to a lot of people and they kind of just throw their hands up. They don't, they feel like what they do or what they care about doesn't matter. And, you know, when your elected officials are off somewhere making all these decisions and then the decisions just kind of get handed down to you, I, I understand that. I can, I sympathize with that. Well, what do you think about publicly funded elections? That'd be a great idea. I mean, getting getting money out of out of the electoral system, and that's probably one of the biggest problems, if not the biggest problem, with our electoral system have you, right have now. Have you heard of Wolfpack? No, I have not. Wolfpack. Um, they're trying to use. Uh, I think they only need twenty eight states. If they can get this passed in twenty eight states, then it get, has to go for a vote. Like um, at the national level? Yeah. Right. It, like, surpasses... It's like adding an amendment to the Constitution with surpassing having the national level have to deal with it. If it passes a certain percentage of states, then it's in. And mm-hmm. they've been working on this for a few, a few years now, and they have gotten through some states. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, that's... Public campaign finance would solve a lot of problems. You know, the, the, the electoral system is so tied to... How much money you can raise, you know. That's that's. You want to get written up in the newspaper? Well, you raise you raise two hundred thousand dollars, and guess what? You're going to get in the newspaper. You know, that's like the the indicator of how successful a campaign is going to be based on how much money that it raises. Yeah, well, you, and that ain't right. Yeah, well, you hear Nancy Pelosi talk about why is she qualified to you know to head the what when she's heading the DNC? Is she still heading the DNC? Oh, gosh, I don't know. <laughs> She's the minority leader. Yeah. She says, why am I qualified? Because I raised the most money. Yeah. Uh, okay. Now, now, if that was all from, if all that was from $20 donations from millions of people. Wait, who are you hey, talking about? Uh, I mean, okay. Bernie, Bernie well, you know, his, his, <laughs> what he did in 2016 in the Democratic primary was inspiring, you know, mm-hmm. to see so many people rally to that uh was was you know kind of gave me a little hope i'm like wow so this 
independent guy. Now, he ran in the Democratic primary. Don't get me wrong. I'm going to be honest with you, too. I changed in 2016. I switched to that party so I could vote in that primary because I, w- I was very excited about the excitement behind Sanders. And he broke Barack Obama's fundraising record. Now, not for the most money, but for the most number of donations. And he didn't even run in the general. So, you know, raising a lot of money is, is interesting, but it's like, okay, well, where did that money come from? Oh, I raised $20 million. Well, 10 of it was from this money bags, you know, but I'm not millionaire. Not to them at all. Yeah, yeah. You know, that, until I want to get reelected back. Yeah, and, and do you think that the, the $25 that I donated to the Bernie Sanders campaign, you think I have his ear now? No. <laughs> Typically, you give it to him because you agree with him already. Exactly, exactly. Rather than donating with the idea that you'll be able to wield influence over that person. Yeah. That's a, that's really a problem in this country, and at every level, too. Well, look into Wolfpack, uh, look into... I will, uh, Wolfpack. Justice Democrats. Just us, okay? Just us. I'll try to stay out of the partisan <laughs> thing, but, uh, you know, look, I'm also not afraid to, you know, if I see a candidate that I like... I don't care if they're in the Democratic Party. I don't care if they're in the Republican Party. I, I've listened to uh, Doug Jolly, who's a Republican. Is it Doug Jolly? That's his first name? Or is it David Jolly? No idea. The guy that's running, that the, he's with uh, Patrick Murphy, that they're thinking about running on a split ticket for governor. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, Jolly, I, I liked a lot of what I've heard him say. And, and there are perfectly reasonable Republicans out there. There are perfectly reasonable well, Democrats the out smaller there. smaller you get. Like, the smaller government you get, the more reasonable Republicans. Indeed. Indeed. Be. Because, and why? Because they have less influence from the major, you know, campaign contributors. Yeah. Public finance would be big. Would be huge. You know, that's you'd have people that actually have to run on their merits. And that's good. Yeah. Serve their that's constituents instead of hamming it for donations every term. All right. What do we have left? Did that? I think you might have all my little bullet points there. Big government versus small government. Kind of. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we, I think we kind of touched on that a bit. Uh, you know, it, it, it's not a bad thing to mention the preemption. The uh, the state legislature is is passing a lot of things uh, through bills and in statutes and whatnot where they're uh, they're preemptive laws, which a preemptive law prohibits a county commission or a city council from passing any rule or ordinance that would violate that. Now. There are some things that I think the state should have the ultimate authority on. And uh, if this is a great example. Uh, the, the county commission wanted to, the Hillsborough County Commission wanted to be able to restrict where firearms could be carried, uh, you know, with, with, with regard to certain buildings and whatnot. Now, that is really something that should be a state law because if you have you know, different carrying laws in Hillsborough versus Pinellas versus Pasco County from a law enforcement standpoint, that's almost impossible to deal with. Yeah, you go to somebody's house and didn't realize you're in the next town over. Oops. I, I drove through two counties just to get here today. That's a there great example. Go. There you go. Uh, so there are some things that I believe should be state preemptive that should be ultimately the state's authority. Uh, but there are some things that should not. <laughs> yeah. You know, for instance, you know, if the state the state was trying to pass a uh, hydraulic fracturing bill that had a preemptive clause in it, that if that bill passed, it didn't, thank God. Uh, but if it would have passed, that it would have prohibited municipalities or uh, or city councils from uh, city councils or county commissions from being able to ban hydraulic fracturing in their jurisdiction. And that I have a problem with. Yeah. You know, and, and that that affects the people in that county, and it affects everybody. But I, that should be something that's decided at the most local level possible. Especially Florida. Florida is literally full of water. Uh, the, the the dynamics of the Florida cave it, systems, the, and the water, hydraulic fracturing should be a, a no no go way, me. no go, Especially no how. Just simply based on 
the complexity and the uniqueness of what's underneath the ground in Florida. Yeah. If for no other reason than it's so that. porous. The limestone is so yeah. porous, you know, we have an underground aquifer contain. system that we're not we, gonna contain that. We don't even know what the we don't have it even mapped out yet. I mean we know where some parts are, but we don't know the whole interconnectivity of it. Dude, we want to make money now. Yeah, I know they they do. And they want to make sure that they can make it in perpetuity as well. So then they would bar the counties and municipalities from being able to prohibit it in their area in their jurisdiction. So yeah. I think you you might have covered everything on that sheet. All right. Well, it was nice. It was nice talking. Likewise. Um, oh wait. Uh, if I can plug real quick, uh, again, uh, Andy Warner running for uh, House Dis- State House District 64, which is Northwest Hillsborough County as well as Northeast Pinellas County. The district extends from Dale Mabry in uh, Hillsborough County all the way to McMullen Booth in Pinellas and goes from the Pasco County line to about Bush Boulevard, Gun Highway in Hillsborough, and then to about 590 in Pinellas County. It includes Oldsmar, Safety Harbor, uh, a little uh, the base side of Clearwater, uh, East Lake, uh, West Chase, Carrollwood, Northdale, a little bit of Lutes, and of course Keystone, Odessa, where I'm from. Uh, if you want to find out any more about me and what I'm about, uh, my website is www.florida4, that's F-O-R, all.net. And uh, I'm also on Facebook, uh, at Andy Warner for House District 64. When's the vote? November 6th. Okay. I'm not, you know, I'm running as a no party affiliate candidate, so I don't have to run in a primary. Uh, so I will just be running in the general, and that vote is is November sixth, which is a very very important election. There'll be a new governor that we'll elect in November. Uh, Bill Nelson's U.S. Senate seat is up, and he's currently running against Rick Scott. And I'm sure there are plenty of other candidates as well, which you should check out. Uh, if you want to know more about what's going on in the election, go to the Department of State website, okay? On the Department of State website, you can access the candidates and committees page, and you can go on and click on the general 2018 election. It will tell you every single candidate that is running in a statewide race, who, what, what house they're, you know, what seat they're running for, all the registered candidates, what status the candidates are in. You can then go in and access that candidate's profile. On that page, you can also submit queries to find out where their campaign contributions are coming from, where, where they're spent, and it'll also have information about where their website is, where their mailing address is. I highly, highly encourage everybody that's listening to this to get on that website and familiarize yourself with it. Don't go in there November 6th wondering who these people are. Get on the net, get on the Department of State website and find out who is running. Give yourself the best opportunity to make the best decision that you can. If that's for me, great. If it's not, then fine, vote for somebody else. But at least you'll know. Well, I would vote for you, but I'm just outside the district. <laughs> all right, yeah, well, that's okay. That's all right. Well, you spread follow. the word. It's all going to be word of mouth, and you'll tell somebody, and they'll tell somebody else. And hopefully everybody will go on that Department of State website. Find out. <laughs> all right. This has been Jeff and Andy Warner. See you later. 64. Have a great later.